Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. Everyone has a mental narrative inside their head of what the good life is, what they want their life to be, what their life would be if they were living the good life, whether or not right now they're fitting inside that image inside their head of what the good life would be. We're always using our imagination to imagine what would my life be like if if I had, if I did, if I could. And often what happens to us is that we get a false narrative inside our head that's not reality. And so it causes discontentment or misinterpretation of events in our lives. And it causes us to pursue a false reality for what the good life is. So we misinterpret the real narrative of our lives. And so we compare what our lives are going through, what is happening now with what we imagine the good life to be. And it brings discontentment. It brings desires for something else. That's not necessarily wrong. It's just that often we are wrong in how we interpret our lives and the narrative of our lives. And this always leads to our inevitable destruction because we live inside God's universe and we live inside his narrative, his story. So we don't really get to create our own narrative. We don't really get to create our own universe, our own story for our lives. And so our own narrative is always like we're under a spell. It's sort of like when we live as if we have our own story to write and our own narrative to live, it's like an irrational spell that leads to irrational choices and an increasing unraveling of our life, of our soul, of our, our story. That's why I've been saying in this podcast that if we can understand the real narrative that our life is in, if we can see the bigger story our life is in because of God, because of God becoming human in the person of Jesus, teaching what he taught, doing the miracles to show what restoration would look like and to show what the true condition of our lives are now. We're blind, we're deaf, we're unable to walk, we're dead, life is a storm. All of these things of Jesus to show the real story that's taking place, the real condition of our lives, the real restoration that is the future because Jesus has become human. God has become human in the person of Jesus. He died on the cross to break through the other side of death. He rose from the dead. Far more plausible evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than he did not. And so I've gone all in, and I think you have too. Because he rose from the dead, it's all true. The new creation has started, and this is the narrative that our life is in. Because of God becoming human in the person of Jesus, this is the bigger story of this world, and it's the bigger story for our life if we want to be in it. There is a power in knowing that. There's a power of understanding that narrative. That's the gospel that the Apostle Paul says has the power of God. It is the power of God to heal and restore our lives, he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which brings us to the psalm I want to look at today, Psalm 45. At first pass, we may not think this psalm has much to offer us in drawing near to God. We might read it and think, I'm not even sure I understood what I just read and move on. 
But when we slow down and start to really notice what's happening and pay attention to the words, it starts to amaze us at how it is a Holy Spirit-inspired prophetic announcement of the bigger story that our life is in. When we understand the big story of the Bible, the one story of the Bible, from beginning to end, we see how this psalm is a kind of prophetic lens through which we can see the entire story, all in one small psalm. This is not a psalm of David. It says in the little subscript underneath Psalm 45, it says a maskil of the sons of Korah, a love song. So this is not a psalm of David. It's some sort of a song that is called a love song. It turns out as a kind of wedding song. So verse 1, one of the verses says, the author says, I address my verses to the king. This is a love song written for the king, and it turns out it's written for the wedding of the king. And so verse 4 says, In your majesty, ride out on the horse, not a, a cart, uh, this is back 3,000 years ago. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. These kinds of words are messianic. They're, they're pictures of the true messianic king riding out victoriously in the cause of truth and meekness, which is interesting, right? This king, this victorious king riding out in the cause of meekness. Remember, we saw the psalm. So verse 6, now listen to this language. It says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Now, that's weird, right? Because it starts off saying, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Well, who's the God of God. Remember when Jesus asked about what David was writing in Psalm 110, verse 1? It says in Matthew 22, verse 41. Let's read the story here. It says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, and then he quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. That's the Psalm, verse 1. And then Jesus says, If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, it says. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What Jesus is saying there, quoting the psalm, saying the Spirit speaking through David, the Spirit inspiring the psalms through David, that's why we see these as the Word of God, and Jesus saw the psalms as God's Word, written by His Holy Spirit, written also by David. But He says, how is it that when it says, the Lord said to my Lord, how does the Lord talk to the Lord? If David is calling, he says, my Lord, his son, how can the Lord be his son. Now, what Jesus is doing there is saying, you know, the language is weird because the Lord said to my Lord, who is the Lord except the Lord? It's kind of what's happening here in Psalm 45. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. It's doing the same kind of thing. 
And I think this is one of those Psalms, and that's why in the New Testament book of Hebrews, it says this in verse chapter 1, verse 8, but about the Son, about Jesus, he says, God says in his word, your throne, O God, and that's quoting our psalm, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. See, the author of Hebrews is saying that Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, have always been about the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, God himself becoming the human king. God himself becoming the human king whose scepter is a scepter of uprightness forever. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. That the God of the Messiah has anointed him forever as king. And so it's God's throne that is forever and ever because God is king forever and ever in this human Messiah, this this human king. But then this psalm takes a turn. In verse 9 it says, At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Verse 13, All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold and many colored robes. She is led to the king, verse 13, as they enter the palace of the king. Verse 16, in place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Interesting, right? Because that language is for God. Being praised forever and ever is for God alone. And yet the psalmist is saying this to the king. Nations will praise this king forever and ever. There will be offspring of this king that will be princes and princesses in all the earth. As this queen is entering the palace of the king, marrying the king, all glorious. She's a princess wearing robes interwoven with gold, many colored robes as she is led to the king. This is language of a wedding of a glorious queen to this glorious king forever. The New Testament, of course, picks up this language being what it is as a picture of Christ and his church, Christ and his new community of resurrected, restored people on a resurrected, restored earth when he returns. This is why the very last of chapters in the Bible, Revelation 21, talks about the return of Christ. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So heaven is returning back to earth. It says, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is the restoration of heaven back to earth when Jesus returns. And there is language here about this Messiah King and his bride is his people, this new community, this, well, what the psalm says, a love song. Somehow the language of the Bible is trying to find language to describe this oneness between God and his people. I will be their God. They will be my people, it says in these verses in Revelation 21. That language is language, this language of intimacy, this language of a marriage, this language of love, this language of a union between a king and his queen, and that we will be princes and princesses that reign upon the earth because of this Messiah king who is God reigning forever and ever. 
This is why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ, which means king, right? Just as the king, Christ the king, loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, this is what the language of the Bible is trying to tell us, that those who are in Christ, when Christ returns, will become radiant, splendor, clothed in robes, multicolored with fine gold. This whole idea of being glorious as a oneness with this king. This is a picture of the larger story that your life is in. This Psalm 45 is really about God becoming king in the human of Jesus and reigning forever and ever in righteousness and uprightness and meekness and glory. And that his queen, what the New Testament calls the church, his bride is going to reign with him forever and ever in glory and radiance and beauty and multicolored robes of gold. This is all language that's talking about splendor and majesty and beauty and glory that will be ours in the resurrection and that we will reign with Christ. We will reign with God forever and ever over his creation, just as we were intended to do in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28. This is the larger story that's always been from the Bible. It's beginning all the way to the end. The one story about Jesus and his people, the new creation on a newly created, resurrected earth in resurrected bodies, reigning with him in glory. The language of the Bible is still cryptic on this, highly symbolic. We don't really quite get the full picture because I don't think we could understand it. Well, it's what Paul says that what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. There's a glorious future here for those who are in Christ. Now, you might say to yourself, okay, great. I'm glad that's going to be my future. But what does this have to do with my life now? I mean, there are things I want now before all that. I want all that, but how is God going to help me with those things that I want now? But here's the thing. To have Christ be our king, like Psalm 45 is talking about, and us his glorious queen, or again, this kind of mixed metaphors, but glorious princesses and princes on the earth when he returns, means that we need to have him as our king now, as our Christ now. So the future that we read about in the Bible that we kind of see glimpses of in this cryptic language in Psalm 45 is a lens through which we see our now. We see the now through this lens of the future. And fighting the good fight of faith and finishing the race means that we don't let other desires, the desire for other things, lead us astray from this narrative, from this one story the earth is all about, history is all about. This story that God is doing because he's the creator. Because this king is with us in the now. He's not just future. This is obviously a future where Christ comes back, but he, we also know from the Bible he's with us now by his Holy Spirit. That's what we're doing in this podcast. We're drawing near to him now. Like what the Apostle Paul was talking about in our last episode, in his letter to the Philippians, we looked at chapter 3, verse 7, when Paul said, I consider all things 
as garbage if I have to compare them to knowing Christ, the King, and being found in him and living in his righteousness by the power of his resurrection, even if that means suffering now so that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's the larger story, and Paul was always reminding himself of the larger story his life was in so that he would finish the race, so that he would fight the good fight of faith. And that's what we have to do. That's what we're doing in this podcast. And that's what I want to do when I pray. I want to bring myself into this bigger story by conversing with God, by meditating on his word and letting his word take root in my life as I pray these concepts and images back to God. Because this is what I'm doing when I pray. I'm conversing with God who is redeeming and restoring my life and restoring this earth. And that's the story I want to be in. I want to fight that fight of faith to be in that story, to finish that race for my life in prayer and God's word and meditating on God's word in prayer is, is how I fight that fight. It's how I run that race. So let's take a few moments and pray some of these key phrases. Would you join me in that? Oh Lord, Yahweh, the I am, the one who is always in the present tense, working out this story from beginning to end, from the first pages of the Bible to the last pages of the Bible, from the first day since creation began to the day Christ returns, King returns, the human King, the perfect human King, who is you. You are the King. You became King, and your majesty is the cause of truth and meekness, humility, and righteousness. Your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. There is never a time when you will not be enthroned as God, Lord over everything, Lord over heaven and earth. You are in charge and you are enthroned forever. There is no other story. There's no other narrative. There's no competition to your will. It is your throne, your reign, your rule, your power, your glory, your righteousness, your truth, your humility that will reign forever and ever. Your scepter, the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness and you have loved righteousness and you've hated wickedness forever past and forever future. Wickedness is always on the wrong side of history. Righteousness and humility and truth is always on the right side of history because you are God forever and ever. That's the real story my life is in. That's the real narrative of human history. This is what you're doing. Therefore, God, your God, the God of the Messiah, is my God forever and ever. He will be my God. You will be my God, and I will be your people forever and ever. You will be with me. I will dwell with you. You will wipe away every tear from my eye, and you will make all things new in Christ the King, God as human king. And I will be your glorious bride, and I will be like a prince reigning upon the earth forever and ever in your glory, in your righteousness, in your humility, in your truth, because you are God forever and ever. 
Therefore, I will praise you forever and ever and glorify you forever and ever because you have made me part of your glorious bride, radiant in splendor and majesty and glory, all glorious, it says here in verse 13, all glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes of interwoven with gold. In many colored robes, she is led to the king. This is how you clothe me in the robes of righteousness, radiance, beauty, and glory, restoring me to what it means to truly be human, created in the image of God, to be restored, to be healed, to be saved, to this story, to this splendor, to this glory. This is the story of the gospel, the power of God for the salvation, the restoration, the healing of everyone who believes. I want you to be my king now. I want you to reign in my life now. I raise my hands to your glorious throne now because you are God forever and ever and you are king on earth forever and ever and you are making all things new and these words are faithful and they are true because your word is faithful and true. So I want to desire you now even so that any other desire would be like garbage compared to knowing Christ as my king, to knowing Christ as my king and as my Lord and being found in him and living in his righteousness, your righteousness, to be found in you and to be living in your righteousness and by the power of your resurrection alive in me by your Holy Spirit. Even if that means suffering now, that I would do that as a participation in your sufferings because you were exalted as Christ after your sufferings. And I know the promise is I will be exalted as your queen, as your prince, reigning with you in a restored resurrection on a restored resurrected earth forever. And so that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead because this story is your story. And this is a story that's my story that my life is in. Therefore, I interpret everything in my life inside this story. I don't want to be fooled under a spell to chase after a false story that's nothing in the end but death. This is the only story of glorious resurrection. This is the only story even now of truth and righteousness and humility and love. You are always against all wickedness, and all wickedness is always on the wrong side of history. So I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you, Lord Jesus, would live your life in me and through me, that you would love others through me, serve others through me, be a witness of this glorious gospel through me, that even now I would be a glorious bride in waiting for my king. Even now I would show your radiance and your splendor and your glory and your beauty through me in my life. Even now, as I'm being transformed by your Holy Spirit from one degree of glory to another, your word says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, you are my God and you are my King and you are presenting me holy and radiant and glorious as your new creation. I give thanks to you and I worship you 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.